Hey, everybody, and welcome to a brand new week here at Point North Media. I'm Alistair Stevens, and we have quite the week ahead of us. I'm still recovering from a weekend of frantic podcasting, in all honesty. So uh, I'm protecting my voice this morning with some hot tea on this uh, this this surprisingly cold and, and just inhumane, inhospitable Monday morning here in Oklahoma City. So I am looking forward to a week of protecting my voice and making good life choices and self-care and things of that ilk, and of course, a ton of podcasting. I have at least one live show every day this week. I'm also recording a couple of extra podcasts this week. In addition to the uh, to the schedule that's been laid out for you uh, from Point North, we're recording some more uh, episodes of Excelsior this week. This week we are looking at uh, what are we doing? We're doing Iron Man two for no, not Iron Man two. We've already done Iron Man two. We're doing Thor this week for the Road to Infinity War commentary series from Excelsior over at CommonRoomRadio.com. I'm doing that with uh, the wonderful Sarah and Vinton, of course, as I always do. And we're discussing the first volume of uh, the Unstoppable Wasp. I think is the is the, the the book that we're doing this week. I'm still catching up, obviously, as you can tell. But that's not really what we're here to talk about. You can find that show over at uh, commonroomradio.com, as I say. But mostly this week, we are going to be talking about, well, Harry Potter and mid-century Japan and Shakespeare's perspective on Athens and trying to catch up with uh, with the doings of hobbits in The Lord of the Rings as a part of the There and Back Again series. There's a ton of stuff. There's just a ton of stuff coming. Yes. Um, so, so Sundar is asking me, am I growing my Tony Stark goatee? You know what? The, the, the beard comes and goes is the thing about the beard. The beard is, is just not really under my control. It, it just shows up and then disappears again when I get bored of it. So yes, right now, yes, right now we're in beard season, but who knows where we'll be even by the end of this week. Yes, Alexis is saying The Unstoppable Wasp is lovely. It's just so good, isn't it? It's just so good. I've only read, uh, gosh, the first issue and a half maybe i suppose at this point maybe maybe a little past the first issue and then just ran out of time to read that book but it's it's just fantastic so i'm very much looking forward to discussing that let me see uh Shane's saying that I should do the Doctor Strange goatee. Yeah, we're all looking forward to Infinity War. We're looking forward to the goatee off between uh, between Stark and Strange. Um, I just watched Doctor Strange again. This has been one of my uh, go-to movies as I've been trying to figure out Doctor Strange as a film, as I've been trying to kind of... Uh, to place it in its its textual continuity with the rest of the MCU. I like that movie more and more each time I watch it. That is not to say that it is my favorite uh, MCU movie or even like a top tier MCU movie, but it is a fascinating MCU movie. And I'm, I'm engaged by that. I'm looking forward to discussing that when we reach that in the in the commentary track series. Uh, it is great to have you all here. We've got Aaron and Julia and, and Angela's joining us and Karen and Becca is here and Jin is here and lots and lots of wonderful people. It is good to have you all with me for the week to come. Uh, I hope you guys like the sound of my voice because you're going to be getting a lot of it let's do a quick gloss then of all that we have to look forward to as i kind of let me pull this screen over so i'm not looking quite so far away from my camera i know that's disorienting for many people uh the session begins, I suppose, tonight with the fourth session in the Between Worlds class, my fairy and folklore class. If you're registered for that class, you'll be getting an email within the next hour with the class link for Between Worlds. In session four, we're going to look at the codification of the modern fairy tale. We're going to look at that turning point where uh, where folklorists, I suppose, and, and fairy tale storytellers began to commit to paper the definitive version of of many stories that had been around for a thousand years or more all across Western Europe. So we're going to be looking at the works of Charles Perrault, and we're going to be looking at the works of uh, the Brothers Grimm, of course. And we're also going to be looking in a tangential way at the works of Hans Christian Andersen, who was was a fascinating writer at the time because he was working in a space that was rapidly becoming codified, but was kind of pushing back against that codification by 
creating new fairy tales in that older tradition. It's a really interesting piece of work. So uh, we're going to be discussing that this evening as a part of the Between Worlds class. Then tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, January the 30th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, we're going to be uh, launching ourselves forward in our discussion of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. We're going to get to Mad-Eye Moody. We're going to get to the introduction of the Triwizard Tournament, like this big secret that has been unfolding through the first third of this book is finally going to be revealed and we're going to learn about the Triwizard Tournament. We're going to meet Alistair Moody, Mad-Eye Moody, kind of. Uh, and then we're not actually quite going to get, the original plan was to get to the uh, the Unforgivable Curses this week too, but we're going to put that off until next week because we just have been running behind schedule a little bit on uh, the discussion of, a goblet of, uh, of The Goblet of Fire because it's just a really good book. It's just a really rich and deep and thoughtful and challenging book in a lot of ways. I'm really enjoying it as I move in. And it's fascinating to to see the ways in which J.K. Rowling is expanding her understanding of her fictional world and urging us to kind of move through this adolescent experience with Harry and Ron and Hermione. It's uh, it's a really rich read, so I'm enjoying those discussions very, very much. Then on Wednesday, we have our first one-shot of 2018, a suggestion by Aaron, who was here in the chat, by Sosa Sundre, who was here in the chat. The brilliant, brilliant Studio Ghibli movie from 1988, My Neighbor Totoro, one of my favorite Ghibli movies, probably not my absolute favorite Ghibli movie, but a really good introduction to what it is that that Ghibli does and has done for, gosh, 30, 40 years at this point. Uh, My Neighbor Totoro is a beautiful meditation on loss and identity and belonging and fear. It's it's a really rich and gorgeous uh, fairy tale exploration of mid-century Japan, and I can't wait to talk about that. If you guys haven't kept up with the one-shots, I know we have a lot of new listeners uh, to Point North Media since even the last time that I did a one-shot, which I guess was uh, I guess was Dickens' A Christmas Carol back in December. Um, the one-shots are simple one-hour standalone lectures on text that I wouldn't have an opportunity to discuss otherwise. So this is our first is this our first anime? It is our first anime, our first Studio Ghibli film. It's not going to be the last of either of those things, and I'm really looking forward to talking about Totoro on Wednesday evening. That's an evening session, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central on Wednesday evening. Then on Thursday at 3 p.m., it's another afternoon session for There and Back Again this week uh, because of other real-life commitments that I have uh, on three uh, at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central on Thursday afternoon. We're going to conclude our reading. We got through a whole half a chapter of The Lord of the Rings last night in the uh, in the rescheduled there back again session in which we discussed Faramir. Of course, discussing Faramir is always going to take a long time. So we're going to wrap up chapter five. We're going to wrap up the window in the West. And then we're going to push into the into chapter six and seven of book four of The Two Towers, getting terribly close to Mordor at this point. Actually, kind of, in a sense, crossing the threshold here, crossing the last major threshold that, uh, that Frodo was going to cross in his journey to Mordor to dispose of his magical trinket. Then on on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, we're going to have our third discussion of Madeline Lingle's brilliant A Wrinkle in Time. Um, again, I'm just falling in love with this book more and more and more. The richness, the depth, the complexity of this book is is utterly beguiling, is utterly enchanting. It is dreamlike in its reading and, and also dreamlike in the way that the book is kind of recursively uh, acknowledged and 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 demanded by the content of the story itself. It's it's an absolutely wonderful discussion. So we're going to discuss chapters. Uh, how far did we get with that? Seven, eight, and nine, I think, of A Wrinkle in Time is going to be our, our third of four readings for The Wrinkle in Time novel this coming Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. And then on Saturday, a very special session, uh, something that I haven't done before. Um, last week in the Between Worlds class, we were talking a little bit about Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen and talking a very little bit about Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream uh, in the context of the Elizabethan evolution of fairy tale and folklore and the kind of 
the riotous uh, and 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 you catastrophic collision of all of these different social and historical trends and impulses during the Elizabethan period that led to the formation of in a sense, the Elizabethan fairy tale as uh, as a defined kind of narrative, as a defined tone and template for a narrative. And I didn't really get the chance to delve as deeply as I wanted to into a Midsummer Night's Dream. And I said during that live session, hey, you know, it might be fun if we just all got together and watched the 1999 adaptation of a Midsummer Night's Dream together. So we're going to, and I'm going to expand that out beyond the Between Worlds class to include all the patron supporters of Point North Media. So if you are a patron supporter, that is if you pledge your support on Patreon or via Coffee or via PayPal or in any other way, then you'll be able to join us for a live commentary track discussion. We'll all watch the 1999 uh, adaptation of A Midsummer Night's Dream together, and I'll talk all over it and take questions from the chat and, and observations from the chat, and it'll be a really fun time. If you haven't joined me for one of those live commentaries, you really should. It's a ton of fun. So that is happening at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central on uh, Saturday evening. I think that is right. Good. That takes us through everything. Let me see here. What are we, uh, what are we discussing here in the chat? Um, Ocean's 8. How are we talking about Ocean's 8? Ocean's 8 is extremely good. Uh, uh, Jin is also saying, man, I thought all Ghibli movies were Kiki's delivery service and was pretty shocked when I ended up spending the last third solving. Oh, no. This is one of the reasons I think that Totoro is such a good introduction to what Ghibli does because it is more emotionally and thematically dynamic than Kiki's Delivery Service, which is arguably the most accessible of the Ghibli movies. I think that Kiki's probably also my favorite, right? I, I really love that movie. Not that it isn't thoughtful, not that it isn't deep, but it does at least have a more, a more conventional in Western terms, a more conventional kind of Disney-like wrap-up uh, to that story, which I really like. Um, Kiki is an excellent entry point into Ghibli, but isn't definitive of Ghibli in exactly the same way as My Neighbor Totoro is. So we're going to have a lot of fun talking about that. Yes, uh, Becca's asking, is My Neighbor Totoro streaming anywhere? I actually don't know. I have the Blu-ray version of that. So uh, I will I will find out and post over to the forum at pointnorthmedia.com slash forum, whether or not it is available online if, uh, if none of you have yet found that online. Oh, I see. Jen and Becca are planning a heist of the chat. They're going to steal the chat right out from under me. This is like a leverage situation that's happening here. We're going to steal the chat. Yeah, it's it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. Uh, so, so Sundar says, I would have picked Spirited Away as your favorite, Alistair. I really like Spirited Away, too. Um, I really like... <sighs> I suppose my, my sleeper hit, like the one that I like, I think more than most people like it is actually Porco Rosso. I think that is a brilliant and beautiful film that doesn't get the attention that it deserves, right? We talk about Mononoke Hima and we talk about, you know, uh, Nausicaa and we talk about, you, you know, the, the big hitters when it comes to, to Ghibli and certainly Spirited Away is one of those big hitters, Spirited Away, arguably the biggest hitter of all of the, the Ghibli movies to date. But for me, I love that, that, quiet sense of tragedy, right? There's something Tolkienian about the quiet sense of tragedy that is infused in my favorite Ghibli movies, and Porco Rosso has that, and Totoro has that. Kiki's Delivery Service does have it in its second act, right? There is some real, uh, some real meditation, almost, on identity and on belonging and on community things which are of course very important to me personally um in in kiki which i love it just comes to a more satisfying and and kind of i'm struggling to find exactly the right word because it's not that the ending is in any way facile it's not as though the ending to kiki's delivery service is neat exactly it is kind of emotionally 
emotionally powerful. It is emotionally kinetic in a really interesting way. Of course, kineticism itself playing a major part in the unfolding story of Kiki's Delivery Service. But uh, yeah, there's something about that that still sad quietness, which I absolutely love about uh, about the Studio Ghibli movies that play in that direction. So yeah, Porco Rosso uh, and Totoro really stand apart for me in that regard. Um, Robin's saying, I just saw Porco Rosso for the first time this year and loved it. That's so great to hear. I'm so glad. Oh, that's great. Aaron, too, also loving Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso, then Totoro, then Kiki, then Lupin the Third. Yes, excellent. Good. Good. Um, yeah, well, this is not the uh, this is not the last time that we're going to be talking about Studio Ghibli movies. I'm absolutely certain of that. It, it is something that uh, obviously I've wanted to talk about for the longest time, and this is just an excuse. This is what the one-shots do, is give me an opportunity to talk about these stories that otherwise would, would just never really justify an entire podcast series and would be difficult to kind of integrate in another way. So over the course of the one-shot discussions, we've talked about things as varied as what? Uh, a Christmas Carol and Galaxy Quest? Are those like the two furthest extremes that we've discussed so far in the context of the one-shot? So I'm looking forward, of course, to delving into more of those. We're going to do at least one a month for 2018 probably more than that. I'm, I'm thinking right now that I have something like 14 or 15 laid out for the course of the year. So some months we'll do two and that you know, leaves us open too to, uh, to have some extra discussions as we move forward. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, okay, I think I'm caught up with the chat. <laughs> Jin, is just, Jin is now taking control of the chat. She has just acknowledged that it has been stolen. I, I yield the chat to you, Jin and Becca. You can, uh, you can take over the chat anytime you like as if I could stop you. <laughs> Good, good. The other thing that I want to do here in the context of this week on Point North is to offer some recommendations. I like the idea very much of uh, of sharing some, I don't know, personal endorsements in, in this space and giving you guys some extra stuff, just in case like an entire week's worth of podcasts isn't enough to look forward to. I wanted to take the opportunity to share some endorsements with you. So if you guys have any suggestions, if you have any recommendations for things which you would like to explore, that would be great. I'm actually going to explore, um, excuse me, one moment while I grab my phone, because I can never remember the name of this game that I have been playing. Um, there is over on the Point North Media Forum right now a, a rewatch project that was started by Joseph and Becca over on the forum, rewatching Deep Space Nine. We've, been, uh, we've watched The Emissary, I believe, uh, the first episode of Deep Space Nine, and there were some thoughts forming over there already. I haven't yet had time to either rewatch The Emissary or contribute in that discussion, but I will. I love Deep Space Nine and would absolutely cherish the opportunity to talk about it. But I have been playing, because it is that time, Oh, what is this game called? I'm now having to load this game to find out what it's actually called because the shorthand is just called uh, Star Trek. Is it Star Trek Timelines? It is Star Trek Timelines. It's a free-to-play mobile game that I've been playing over the course of the last week. It is pretty dumb. It is absolutely replete with the kind of free-to-play hooks that you would expect from a free-to-play mobile game. Um, you run out of energy all the time and you have to recruit a random selection of characters from across the, the Star Trek multiverse so that you can kind of put your, your, your core team together. Right now, my core team is weirdly DS9 oriented, actually. I have a very good Ben Sisko, I have a very good Jadzia Dax, and I have a very good Kai Wynn. I'm not terribly happy about using Kai Wynn, let me tell you. She's one of the great villains of DS9, I would argue. Um, but she's just turned out to be very good for my particular game. So Star Trek Timelines, a free-to-play game that you can play on your mobile device. And the other video game that I want to recommend is a game that I've had in my Steam library for forever and have only really kind of got to grips with over the course of the last week. And by got to grips with, I mean played a couple of hours of XCOM 2 is a very good game. It is a very good game. The XCOM games are squad-based tactical combat games, primarily with a strategic layer over the top, in which you are, in the first game, defending the Earth from an alien incursion, and in the second game, 
minor spoilers for the canonical ending to the first game, I suppose that this is not the ending that I got. The canonical ending for the first game is that you fail and that aliens take over the Earth and and uh, create this weird hybrid society called Advent. Um, and then in the second game, you're basically fighting a guerrilla war against the alien overseers, the alien oppressors uh, all across the face of the Earth. It's extremely good. It's extremely polished. It goes back, I, I should say, these are the modern XCOM games. The original XCOM games go back to Gosh, what, XCOM 1 was maybe released in 1989, 1990, something like that. I played a ton of that game when it first came out. Uh, XCOM 1, XCOM 2, Terror from the Deep, I played a lot of that too, which was really hard and, and not anything like as much fun as the first one. But I've played XCOM games and XCOM variants all through the years. The relaunched uh, Firaxis XCOM came out a few years ago and was a very good, very polished game. XCOM 2 manages to take that still further, adds a ton more, uh, adds a lot of, of additional systems to basically prevent the problem that you get in any kind of squad-based tactical game, which is the snowball effect, which is that if you do well at the beginning of the game, at the very hard beginning of the game, then the rest of the game can be somewhat trivialized by your early successes. You're just so strong that you can roll through any threats that are introduced. XCOM 2 pushes back against that in a really interesting way. It demands some, some very quick thinking and some very fast footwork. So two game recommendations, a free-to-play mobile game, Star Trek Timelines, which I've been playing a little bit, and XCOM 2 available now. I have not yet played the XCOM 2 expansion pack, War of the Chosen, I believe is what it's called, but I haven't played through the original core game, so I wanted to play that before I pick up the expansion pack. But it's, it's really, really strong, and I like it very much, and... If this week wasn't so crowded out with other things, I might try and stream a little bit. But uh, yeah, I'm still trying to find time to to stream consistently. That's the biggest problem, is that I can put together like an hour stream here or there of various games. What I want to do is, is really delve into the Bioware back catalog. I've pretty much decided that's what I want to do. I want to go and play Mass Effect. I want to go and play Dragon Age. I want to kind of maybe even revisit Jade Empire, maybe even revisit Baldur's Gate or Icewind Dale, you know, some of the early Infinity Engine games. The Bioware games are my favorite games they are they are to me what what final fantasy or monster hunter which is just you know the new monster hunter has just been released and people are consumed by those games people love those games i've played a lot of final fantasy but it's never never taken me the way that the bioware games have so i would love to go back and just play through all of dragon age or play through all of mass effect which i think actually in its in its core movement not including the fourth game andromeda the, the mass effect trilogy actually does tell a pretty complete and comprehensive story uh which is a story that i completely love so it would be interesting to do that but what i want to do is find a slot in my schedule where i can regularly stream so that it can be like a podcast it would be like a live broadcast that's going out at a a, a pre-arranged time to make it a little easier for you guys to catch up with that so that's still a work in progress. We're getting there. We're getting there. Let me see here. Um, as I catch up with the chats. Uh, yes. Um, let me see. Oh, what is, what is, oh, the phone game is Goto Goa. I don't think that Goto Goa is out yet on Android, Jen. Um, I've heard wonderful things about this game. This is the, uh, this is the kind of comic book serial art manipulation game where you can kind of adjust the elements of comic book panels uh, in, in a puzzle game-like format in order to, to move to the end of the story. I'm absolutely fascinated by that. I think that is a really great idea. I don't think that it's available yet on Android. If it is, I will definitely pick it up. The other one that I've been playing a little bit, and in fact, I suppose, okay, here's a general endorsement, and if you're interested in this, then head on over to commonroomradio.com for the new episode of Excelsior, which will drop this afternoon, in which Sarah Vinton and I discuss Steven Universe. Steven Universe is brilliant. Steven Universe is brilliant. Steven Universe is the best animated show I have maybe ever seen. It is preposterously good. It is incredibly ambitious. The music is brilliant. The characterization is on point. It is 
such a sweet and good-hearted and well-intentioned show that is absolutely not afraid of delving into some of the deepest and and most uh sophisticated and nuanced and adult emotional ranges that you can you can conceive of it's a brilliant brilliant show and of course now that i have unplugged my phone you can hear all my notification sounds i hope that is okay that should do it uh i think for my recommendations let's see what you guys are talking about in the chat so so Sunday recommends uh i did a computer free self-care weekend that involved cooking calvin and hobbs and yotsuba and comics a computer-free self-care weekend sounds very good, actually. Disconnecting from the internet from time to time, very, very good. Uh, highly recommended. Uh, DS9 rematch. I, I think Angela might be thinking of the DS9 rewatch, but I like the idea of a DS9 rematch, too. What, just line up the Dominion against the Federation again? Is that, is, you know, the first fight wasn't enough? I'm not against that idea. I think that's a pretty good idea, actually. Um, good. Let me see here. Uh, oh, Becca's saying, I I've kind of forgot how good Emissary is. Also, my disdain for Picard has... Oh, wow. This is provocative. Also, my disdain for Picard has been awakened, and I can't stand him again. Becca, you and I are going to have to talk about uh, about Captain Picard here. I'm just going to try and turn off my uh, notifications here. I had to unplug my phone. There we are. Everything is good. Uh, everybody needs an O'Brien. You always need O'Brien as the best chief engineer. Yeah, O'Brien is the guy, right? O'Brien is is just fantastic. One of the things I love about um, I love about DS9 so much. I guess it's do we do an O'Brien episode in season two? I forget. But certainly by the time we get to season three, by the time we by the time DS9 becomes what DS9 is is going to become, right? By the time that Cisco grows his beard and shaves his head and we get the Defiant and we get Worf and like by the time DS9 is is mature and DS9 is really the show that it will ultimately become, every season we give O'Brien, we give Colmini an opportunity to really act. And these are the O'Brien Suffers episodes, right? These are the something terrible is gonna happen to Miles for the next 45 minutes and Colmini is just gonna act the hell out of it. Those are some of my favorite episodes of, of DS9. His relationship with Bashir is magnificent, is genuinely magnificent. And, and I would argue the first friendship that we see in Star Trek, right? We don't get, a real human friendship up until that point, and they absolutely do do wonders with it. I, I just adore it. It's just very, very good. Uh, so, so Sundari says, DS9 rematch, who is better, Cisco, Quark, or Garrick? Uh, well, okay. I'm less engaged by the Ferengi in general than I think a lot of fans of DS9 are. I don't care that much for the Ferengi. Um, I, I'm just not engaged by the, the lighter, more comedic storylines. Um, Cisco Garrick, Garrick is one of the great creations. I think he, he's one of my favorite fictional characters in anything. He is so, so good. And yet I kind of have to go with Cisco. I think that Cisco, Cisco is my favorite captain. I think that Cisco is the best lead of a, a Star Trek series that we've had to date. I think he's incredibly good. I think that Avery Brooks' performance is, while not exactly pitch perfect in the first season and not even, not even right there in the second, in the second season, Ultimately, he turns into a Shakespearean figure. He's he's just so operatic toward the end of that series, and it's it's a brilliant synthesis of performance and character writing. I think from DS Nine. So I think I'm probably going to go with Cisco. I just love it. Uh, I do understand. Um, I do understand the uh, the dislike of uh, Picard in the context of DS Nine. For those of you who haven't been keeping up with your Star Trek. Um, Cisco's wife dies at the Battle of Wolf 359 when Picard has been co-opted by the Borg and turned into Locutus during the events of Best of Both Worlds 1 and 2 between seasons 3 and 4 of Next Gen. Um, and I've always found that element of Picard's characterization to be, to be utterly compelling. 
I love that we have this this stalwart moral bastion that we have just just the best man in all of Starfleet. That is that is Jean Luc Picard, right? The best man in all of Starfleet has been assaulted, has been has been taken from himself and and put to terrible purpose. And that relationship between Picard and Cisco is one of my favorite things. I, I just love the stress that that puts on Picard and the the cracks that it opens up. And of course, that is what DS9 does in general. DS9 is the Star Trek show that introduces human conflict and jealousy and pettiness and hope and desperation and aspiration and and all of these lower key kind of non-Roddenberry perspectives on the human condition. And it's it's wonderful, you know. The Enterprise is always going to be the flagship. The Enterprise is the best of the best. The Enterprise is the best crew in the Federation. They are most emblematic of the virtues of the Federation, the virtues of Starfleet. And DS9 is just this crummy rundown port in the middle of nowhere that is nothing until the wormhole is discovered in the first episode, right? And even then is nothing for three seasons after that until it suddenly finds itself on the front line of the ongoing war with the Dominion. It's incredibly good. It's it's just a wonderful thing. And I say this as someone who is a huge fan of, of Babylon 5, of course. These two shows, these two space station shows coming out alongside each other in the mid-1990s was very good. Very different shows, right? Very, very different shows, but still utterly engaging, I think, in their way. Yeah. Um, oh, and Kendall's, uh, Kendall's saying, I'm late to the chat. Did I miss any news on the Star Wars discussion coming soon? Coming really, really soon. Like, I have it. It's It's ready to go. I just need to record that thing and put it out. I haven't put it on the schedule just because, you know, the live schedule is so demanding this week. But any second now there will be a discussion of the last jedi and then the next discussion after that which i've already written about half of is going to be um a deep dive analysis of you know i, I think uh, no spoilers okay no spoilers for the last jedi i'm not going to talk about any of the plot elements of the last jedi in the course of the next couple of minutes but if you're incredibly sensitive about the last jedi skip ahead just just a couple of minutes or, or mute me until i wave my hand or something i'll give you a sign that, that it's all going to be okay one of the few things that really disappointed me about The Last Jedi is the opening crawl, not just for its content, right? I think that the opening crawl of The Last Jedi kind of misunderstands what a Star Wars opening crawl is and what it is for, but it is also just kind of badly written. It's just, it's lacking in purpose and in resonance. And say what you like, even about the prequel crawls, I think they're incredibly intentional. They're incredibly self-aware and they are speaking to that Republic serial tradition, yes, but also the tradition that is established by the original trilogy of Star Wars movies. So what I want to do in the next episode, the the not the Last Jedi discussion, but the episode after that, is look at the opening crawls and the opening shots of all of the Star Wars movies in order and talk about the poetry of the opening crawl. Basically, what I want to do is talk about the ways in which we are correct to read the opening crawls like poetry, that we need to actually parse them very carefully because there's a lot of beauty and nuance within those opening crawls. Um, and we'll, we'll do that in the course of the next couple of weeks. Uh, Story in Star Wars is going to be a much more regular series through 2018 than it has been previously just because there's so much. It's Star Wars season again is what it is. It's just, it's Star Wars season again. The Han Solo movie is going to be out any minute now. I'm a little alarmed that we haven't yet seen a trailer for that movie. Honestly, I'm not entirely sure what Disney is playing at. I'm not sure whether they are deliberately managing expectations and, and holding back the trailer for the Han Solo movie so that it can be a bigger hit when it is released, so that the, the turnaround between you know the trailer release and then the actual release of the movie is that much shorter and they can kind of, of focus that, that intensity around it. That may well be what they're doing, and certainly that's not a terrible idea. You know, I think that part of the problem with the Star Wars franchise now really since The Force Awakens, but the blur of, of promotional material through The Force Awakens and Rogue One and The Last Jedi and now moving into, into the Han Solo story, I feel like 
has been a little defocused. These individual movies as events have been a little de-emphasized. It is also possible, right, parenthetically, to conclude the thought that I was having to, to kind of make explicit the implicit assertion that I was making about the back half of, of that argument. It's also possible that the Han Solo movie is not shaping up the way that Disney wants and they are going to send that thing out to die. It is possible, unlikely, I think, at this point, but still possible. So there's going to be a lot of Star Wars content coming from Story and Star Wars in the course of the next few weeks, uh, next few weeks, next few months. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff. Let me see here. Um, if I can scroll back through, uh, there's no way I can catch everything up here. Um, yeah, Beck is asking, I wonder if my perspective is different because DS9 was my first track. I mean, gosh, I, I just, I just... I can't imagine coming to DS9 as, as, as your first Star Trek. I think that's so fascinating, right? I can't, I can't imagine that being your introduction to the world. And I can't imagine how sterile and austere Next Gen feels as a response to that. Becca, do you like Voyager? Did Voyager work for you? Because Voyager is in many ways a rejection of, of what was done in DS9 in terms of like the deeper character drama. Voyager is in many ways an attempt to kind of reclaim the, the infinite vista of the, the next gen period of Star Trek, which, I don't actually think that Voyager manages to do terribly well. You know that weird thing that I was talking about earlier, that, that snowball effect in XCOM, where early successes mean that you kind of just, just snowball through the rest of your, the rest of your campaign, that, that that's ultimately your progression becomes easier because you've done well, because you've conquered the, the hardest part. Voyager kind of falls into that trap, right? The first season of Voyager should have left them bruised and bloodied by the end of it, and it didn't. And then we have to introduce the Borg as a major threat to, to the Voyager crew in, or the Borg and Species 8472 to kind of to give them something to fight back against that is kind of antithetical to the basic premise of Voyager, right? The idea that Voyager is the ship that has been cast across the galaxy and now has to come home, that's an incredibly powerful story. For those of us who love, you know, Quantum Leap, the, the, the Voyage Home story is always a fascinating story. I love I love stories like that. And Voyager just kind of... It, it faltered in its execution of that story and had to replace that story with something else that was just, to me, much less personally engaging. So it, it's complicated, but yeah, yeah. Let me see. Did, did Becca get back to me here? Um, I can't, you guys are all just, uh, you guys are all so chatty. I love Voyager, but it's something very different, says Becca. Yes, absolutely too. And Angela's pointing out that she wants Obi-Wan movies. Uh, you know, Ewan McGregor is still up for playing Obi-Wan Kenobi and... I, I would like that very much. I do think there's actually like a, a conspicuous space in in Star Wars lore now for Obi-Wan the movie or um, God, just, just maybe call it Ben, right? No, maybe that would be more difficult now in the context of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. But you can have a story of what Obi-Wan Kenobi does on Tatooine. Like I would love to have... Uh, you know, an exploration of of that period, which is is so conspicuously unexplored in the context of Obi Wan's story on Tatooine. I, I would love some of that stuff too. Yeah, it's it's wildly wildly uh, it's it's wide open right now. Yeah, <laughs> Crazy Old Wizard, a Star Wars story. Yeah, or you can just do the um. You know, I, I want to hear about the uh, I want to hear about the Bushes of Love adventure. If you guys haven't seen Bushes of Love, the uh, bad lip reading music video that accompanies uh, a new hope, you should definitely go and look that up. Go look that up. And then go look up Seagull Stop It Now. Um, just trust me on this, I guess. They're very, very good and they're extremely funny. Um, yes. <laughs> All right. That, I think, is going to do it then. Yeah, we've been here a half hour. Look at that. A half hour has flown by and we have a lot of work to get to. So let me recap. Tonight, the Between Worlds class at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, we are going to delve into the works of Perot and Grimm and Anderson. We're going to talk about how folklore and, and kind of... Um, 
the medieval fantasy tradition and, and the tradition of fairy is transformed into the modern fairy tale at that point. That's going to be really fascinating. Then we've got two more sessions. Next week, we're looking at uh, the roots of modern fantasy. We're going to be looking at George MacDonald, the Princess and the Goblin, and we're going to be looking at, at, at how fairies are are forcibly transmuted we're going to be talking about peter pan of course because we have to talk about uh, about tinkerbell so we're looking at how fairies are forcibly transmuted by the victorian period and, and what they become as a consequence of that and then in the final session we're going to be looking at fantasy in the 20th century looking at disney we're going to look at early disney we're going to look at snow white and then we're going to look at the little mermaid and then we're going to look at Coraline by neil gaiman the the novel of, of the novel version of of that story to kind of look at where a kind of self-aware uh, almost postmodern kind of magical realist fantasy is now. So that's going to conclude our thoughts over on the Between Worlds class. But session four, tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. The links to that class session will be with students who are registered for that class in the very near future. Tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, Dear Mr. Potter 41, Mad Eye Moody, in which we meet the aforementioned Mad Eye Moody, and we get a lot of jokes about his name, because it turns out the character is called Alistair. Just not that common in fiction, it turns out. Uh, then on Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, an evening session on Wednesday, the Point North one-shot for Studio Ghibli's fantastic 1988 movie, My Neighbor Totoro. Can't wait to talk about that. Then on Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, there and back again, uh, episode 50, episode 50 of there and back again, The Crossroads, The Turning Point, right? This is where we... We leave behind, right at the end of, of this week's reading, we're going to leave behind the Garden of Athelion and we're going to venture toward Mordor. We're going to try and cross that threshold into Mordor. On Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, the patron-exclusive book club on A Wrinkle in Time, our third session with A Wrinkle in Time, which is probably going to run a little long because I, I didn't get through everything that I wanted to get through this last week. So... Um, I'm going to open with, if you're not yet a patron of Point North Media and you would like to hear me talk about A Wrinkle in Time, here's a little teaser for you. I'm going to open next week's reading by deconstructing the argument that A Wrinkle in Time is in any way about communism. That's basically what I'm going to lead with next week as we, as we move into uh, into chapters 7, 8, and 9 of Madeline Lingle's A Wrinkle in Time. Then on Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, we're going to have our live commentary track for A Midsummer Night's Dream, the 1999 uh, Kevin Klein, Callista Flockhart, Stanley Tucci version, Michelle Pfeiffer version of, uh, of uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream. I can't wait for that. We're just going to watch that movie together. I think that is available in some streaming platforms. If not, I will, I will find links to it and uh, make that stuff available. Guys, I hope that you'll be able to join me for at least some of the work that I'm doing this week. Thank you all so much for being with me here on this Monday morning. I hope you all have a wonderful Monday. I hope we've done something to, to quell those Monday morning blues and to, to ignite within you a fire and a fury that will lead you through the rest of your day, the rest of your week, and will hopefully bring you back to me here at Point North Media for some live sessions in the course of the week. I will talk to you all again very soon. Take care. Have a good day. And be good to each other. Bye. <laughs>